I'll be reading Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, found on page 942 in your Pubrac Bible. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, my name is David Brain. I uh, am speaking today, and I've been asked to introduce myself. Uh, so let me do that briefly. Um, I live in Manchester, New Hampshire, and way back in 1985, I started a church there and pastored there for 16 years, um, and then went to South Carolina and was a pastor there. Uh, during most of those years, next, most of the next 15 years, so about 30 years of pastoral ministry uh, altogether. And then in 2016, we returned to New Hampshire, uh, the church that you know, we had started back in 1985. Uh, the pastor needed some help, and so we came to help that church out. Uh, we stayed there for a couple of years and did that uh, and helped them through that transition period. Uh, and now I work for a defense contractor, um, so don't, don't ask me uh, how I got that, but uh, I shepherd uh, my people in a little different way than, than I have before. Um, let's see, uh, I'm married to my wife, uh, yes, uh, my wife Joey, uh, she is, uh, we're coming up on 42 years married here in June on, on D-Day, which turned out to be pretty good for us. And um, so we have six children, three boys, three girls, seven grandchildren, and um, none of them live close by, uh, so uh, it's, it's always a journey for us or for them to get together. Um, but anyway, we're really grateful for all that the Lord has done for us, and um, you know, when your God is infinite, you're never going to run out of things to learn about him. You're never going to come to the end of the things that you can learn that will thrill you and fill your heart with joy and empower you. And so we're on that journey, and in some ways I feel like the last five or six years have been, uh, as they say, on steroids, uh, just as the Lord has just shown us so much of his goodness and of his grace. Uh, but anyway, we're glad to be here today. Uh, really appreciate the worship time earlier. Uh, tremendous truth in those uh, songs, and I, I hope they really blessed your heart. All right, so we, as the scripture reading would indicate, we are in Romans chapter 5, the first eight verses. 
Let me read just again verse 8, and then we'll pray. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful today for all your goodness. Father, you, we thank you, and, and we wouldn't dare to say this if you didn't say it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, Father, how we thank you that you loved us at our worst. And we bless you today that we are here at the appointed hour, that we have come, O oh God, and as much as we rejoice and benefit from meeting with one another, we thank you and bless you that we are here to hear from you. And we ask you today, Father, that by your spirit you will speak to us, each one. Speak to us where we are. Speak to us what we need to hear. And Father, we ask you, send your spirit now in power uh, to minister through your word. Lord, we, we are dependent upon your word. It is the sword of the spirit. And so we ask you that the spirit will wield that sword mightily in our hearts. Father, we ask you that we will not hear with corporate ears today, but with individual ears. We ask you today, Father, that each of us will listen. Each of us will ponder your word. Each of us will be open to the Spirit's ministry to each of our hearts individually. And so today we pray, Lord, pour out your Spirit in a mighty way. Uh, Lord, make it impossible for us to go out the same as we came in. Do a transforming work, and we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. A while back, uh, I was having lunch with a pastor friend of mine, and he was telling me about someone that he was counseling, and this particular man just couldn't believe that God loves him. He just couldn't take that in, couldn't believe that God loves him. And the more I thought about that afterward, the more I thought, you know what, that's a pretty significant issue for every one of us. That's an area of need for every one of us. Because you see, whenever you fear or whenever you worry, you are doubting the love of God for you. Anytime. When you're frustrated and angry, you are doubting the love of God for you. When you're walking in, let's say, an orphan spirit, in other words, considering yourself unworthy of answered prayer and of blessing from God, you are doubting the love of God for you. In other words, there's a pretty big difference in believing God loves you in your mind or as part of your theology and really believing that in your heart, living in that truth day by day. The devil knows that. And believe me, he is doing everything he can to keep you from really believing that your Heavenly Father's amazing love is for you, personally, individually. So what I want us to think about for the next few minutes today is that very theme. I want us to, in essence, go to God's Word to take that hammer out of the devil's hand. And so I want to speak to you today about God's infinite love for you personally. And I just want us to consider three things. First of all, God's love for you attacked, for it is attacked on a daily basis. Then God's love for you proved, 
because we have it demonstrated to us in, in powerful ways in the written word and in the living word. But then also, God's love for you enjoyed. How do we walk in that? How do we make that the thing that guards and guides our thinking every day that we live? So let's look at these three things. Now, let's begin with God's love for you attacked. And as I mentioned earlier, the devil knows how much you and I need to understand and believe God's love for us. So just as he did with Eve in the garden, he wants to put a big question mark in your mind about his love for you. He's constantly attacking your belief in his love. Uh, my wife and I were reading a book here not long ago, kind of around marriage themes. And the, uh, the author of the book said, a woman tends to ask herself a hundred times a day, does he really love me? And my wife said, yes, that, you know. And, you know, by the way, for the husbands uh, here and boyfriends, uh, it's, it's not enough to say, look, I told you once that I love you, and if it changes, I'll let you know. That's just, that's never going to fly, you see. You need to be demonstrating that love constantly, expressing that love. But back to what we're talking about. The devil wants to undermine our confidence, our belief in God's love for us. So he's always attacking it. And there are two main things that he uses. He uses what we see inside, in other words, when we look at our own hearts, our own lives, and he uses what we see outside. So let's think about those two things for a minute. So when I say he uses what we see inside, I mean our sin, our messing up are not doing the things that we ought to do and are doing of things that we ought not to do. And other things too, our weakness, our powerlessness, our unbelief, our ignorance. All these things, and what does he do? He whispers, how can God love you? Come on, how can he love you? Look at you, he's disgusted. That's the only thing, he's disgusted when he sees you. And at all costs, by the way, he wants to keep you looking at yourself. You see, that's a game you can't win. You will never win that. Let's say 2023, first of the year, you are having a New Year's resolution and you say, you know what, I am going to make sure that I make 15 minutes when I get up in the morning sacred and I'm going to meet with God and I'm going to pray for 15 minutes. Now you do that for a week and the devil will come and say, 15 minutes? You kidding me? Martin Luther prayed three hours. You know? And if you go up to 30 minutes, he'll say, just 30 minutes? You know, in other words, you can't win. Because he will always seek to undermine and make you question and tell you it's not enough. And as long as you're looking at yourself, you're going to have a hard time arguing with that. Let's say in another case, you... You see somebody in the congregation or maybe you see something that needs to be done here in the church and you say, you know what, I can can do that. And, And you go and you get it done or you draw close to somebody and you help them and encourage them. And, you know, you're thankful. Thankful you had that opportunity. Thankful you were God's instrument and the devil comes along and says, you just wanted him to like you. You just wanted to be seen by people. You just wanted to have a certain reputation, you see. 
And so anytime we are looking at ourselves, it's like just securing that hammer in the devil's hand because as long as you're looking at yourself, it's never going to be enough. You're never going to win. And so he attacks at what we see inside. But then also he uses what we see outside, and what I mean by that is when we look at our circumstances, when we look at our difficulties, our troubles, our trials, and the devil whispers, God doesn't love you. Look at your life. Look at the mess. Look at the difficulties. Look at the trials. Makes you feel like you're the only one going through this thing, you know. And so he presses us on that. Now, that's a flat-out lie. And I'll tell you why. Because all over Scripture, especially in the New Testament, we are told that our trials as God's people will be many. God doesn't varnish that, doesn't hide that. He tells us, you remember the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 14? He had gone to all these places and ministered the gospel. People had come to Christ. And so he says, let's go back through and let's establish elders in all the churches and let's encourage the people. And so he goes back and we have in uh, Acts chapter 14, I think it's verse 22, a very brief summary of what they emphasized. And he said, you know, we... um, You know, we are establishing elders, and what he says, what he emphasizes in that very brief statement, that we, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom. He tells them, don't forget that, that that is going to be part of it. You may remember David in Psalm um, 34 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, And we all know that. We've proved that. Many are the afflictions of the the righteous. But you know how that verse ends? It ends with these words. The Lord delivers him out of them all. That's the promise of God. But I think the passage that is is most instructive and encouraging about our trials and troubles is James chapter 1. I want to read just three verses from James chapter 1. Excuse me. Verses 2 to 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now that's counterintuitive, isn't it? The Lord tells you, look, you're in trouble. You have these difficulties. These things are pressing in upon you. Count it all joy. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And that's a very full word. It's not just, you know, kind of enduring. It's the idea of a steadfastness, of a purpose of heart that is clinging to the Lord, even though this thing you're going through is hard, is difficult. So knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But then these next words. But let patience have its perfect or complete work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In other words, God says these trials, they aren't just things to to endure and and hope it gets over quickly. These are things that God is going to use to work in your heart in such a powerful way that the result is you are perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now that's quite a promise. And yet that's, that's why we go through those troubles and trials because God is using them in a powerful way to show us just how good he is and to show us that we need fear uh, nothing. So, the devil, though, 
is going to attack and he's going to make you look at your circumstances and he's going to want you to forget these things that scripture says and to think, well, man, this is my life. This is hard. I'm not enjoying this. And so God must not either see me or love me. That's what he wants you to think. So folks, we get attacked by what we see inside. We get attacked by what we see outside. And all because the devil doesn't want you to know and believe God's infinite love for you personally. So let's turn to the word of God for a few minutes and let's see that proved. Let's see the fact that God has not left any wiggle room with regard to his love for you. So here we are in um, Romans chapter 5. Uh, our scripture reading was there, Romans 5. And let me just go through you with you. Verses 6, 7, and 8. <clears throat> Concerning the love of God for you. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Hallelujah for that word. He, he's, he's not keeping a, you know, a count, a tick list. In other words, what the devil has said about look at you, God has looked at you. God has seen more than you can fathom in terms of your heart, your brokenness. And yet while he had Jesus come to die for the ungodly. Verse 7, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And folks, that love and the motive behind that love doesn't change. I mean, I know in my life, it was like, okay, that verse was really good for me before I came to know Christ, before I became a believer. But now I'm a believer, you know. Now I'm, I'm on his side. And somehow I looked at my failures as having changed the whole equation. I looked at my sins as having messed that all up. Folks, it's still true. Christ dies for the ungodly. While I am a sinner, whether it's yesterday or 10 uh, years from now, Jesus died for me. He commends his love toward me in that Jesus died for me. So folks, that love is a love that is unconditional. That love is a love that fixed itself on our hearts. A love that is proved at the cross. And folks, when you doubt the love of God, that's the place to go. We were actually singing about that in one of those songs earlier. That the cross is the place to go to have God's love proved for you anew and afresh. To go and to look at that cross. And, and I, you know, it's one of the worst forms of torture ever devised. I don't know if you've ever gotten into the details of how the person would die. What the agony would be like as they hung there. As they couldn't breathe and had to push themselves up. Inflicting a horrible agony uh, in the process. Uh, about the blood beginning to, to fill the lungs. Uh, it, it's just, it is a horrific death. But that's just the outside. Because you see, while Christ was enduring in his humanity that intense suffering, he was also taking the wrath of God for your sin and mine. 
he was also having that wrath of God, the just wrath of God on sin, poured out on him. No wonder he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was enduring something that you and I cannot begin to fathom. There's an old hymn um, written many years ago, I think in the 1800s, called The Ninety and Nine. And it's just basically the story of Jesus and, you know, him going to rescue the lost sheep to rescue you and me. But there's a verse in there that says this, but none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night that the Lord passed through ere he found his sheep that was lost. That's the cross. That's what Jesus was enduring externally and internally on the cross. And yet he was there with all his heart. He was there because of the love he bears to you and to me. And so we can look at that cross and look at it individually and say he loves me that much. He did that for me on purpose. He did that for me with all his heart. One of my favorite uh, verses of scripture is found in Zephaniah. Let me read these verses to you from Zephaniah chapter 3. Uh, and, and what I love about these verses is it's one of these you know, prophetic pronouncements that is in effect saying, look, here's the big picture. Here's your 30,000 foot view of the reality of God and your soul. So follow with me, Zephaniah 3, 14 to 17. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart. O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away your judgments. That's what the cross did. He has cast out your enemy. The devil is a defeated foe. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. Not a thing will ever touch your life that doesn't come through his hands his, and his heart of love. Verse 16. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear. Do not fear. Zion, and, and by the way, Jerusalem, Zion in the Old Covenant context is like a picture of the people of God, the church, the Old Testament church. So hear that for you today as the church. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear. Zion, let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God in your midst the mighty one will save. And you can pronounce that over every difficulty you go through, every challenge you find in your own heart. He will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. And again, don't think of that corporately, individually. He's rejoicing over you with gladness. You thrill his heart. But then this, <clears throat> he will quiet you with his love. Boy, do I need that love to do that for me, to quiet me with his love. And then these words, and again, we wouldn't dare to say this if he didn't say it. He will rejoice over you with singing. He sings over you. He sings over you. That is the level of the joy and gladness he has because of you and because of his love for you. 
You know, one of the main purposes of the ministry of Jesus was to demonstrate how much the Father loves us. And I, I have to confess, you know, though I've been a pastor many years, taught seminary systematic theology for many years, I didn't see this until recent years. It, it just it didn't stand out to me like it does now. One of the main purposes of the ministry of Jesus was to demonstrate how much the Father loves us. And again and again, if you read the Gospels, he corrected the misperception that God had a baseball bat, that he was hard-hearted, that he was the big ogre. You know, He showed us, he demonstrated his love. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 Beginning at verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Unless you think that's for some and not others, he repeats it, but with these words, for everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you? If his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those that ask him? I remember when my oldest daughter was born, and, uh, uh, you know, she couldn't speak yet. Um, so I would race home. I just could not wait to get off work, to get home, to see her. And I would make the biggest fool of myself over her, you know, uh, her lying there. And I would babble and, and do all these things. And I, I, I remember just how strongly I wanted her to be able to speak because I wanted to be able to hear what I could do to express this love that I felt for her. I just yearned for that day. And then I thought, if I, being evil, feel that way, how much more does my Father in heaven want to hear my voice asking for anything and everything that he can do for me? You know, it's a tremendous passage, and I, I wish I had time to give you the whole context of it, because it's a story in itself. But Second Chronicles chapter 16, the Lord says, His eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for every opportunity to display His glory and power in behalf of His people. You're never putting Him out when you bring your request to Him. He's looking for every opportunity to love you and to do you good. Another verse, Luke 12 and verse 32. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Again, he's not backward about it. He wants to shower you with his love. You know, one of the great things, uh, one of the things that I did years ago that was probably the, one of the most helpful and encouraging things I ever studied in my whole life was I decided to look at the attributes of God. Now, attributes is a fancy word, but it's just characteristics. And, and an attribute is just simply something true about God. But when you study all that the Bible says about who God is and what's true of his nature, he has these attributes. But every one of those attributes is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. 
And so with regard to his power, he's omnipotent because he's infinite, un eternal, and unchangeable in power. He knows everything. He's omniscient because he's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his knowledge, and so on. But man, that's true about his love as well. It is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable love. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. That's what the attributes are. God is love, and there's no not love on the other side. He's always shining that love in on our hearts. Now, I've emphasized today God's love for you personally. And there's a way for me to prove just that point, the personally to you. In Romans chapter, not Romans, uh, book of the Revelation 2 and 3, we have the seven letters to the churches. So they were churches that were existing then, but they teach us truths <laughs> that go well beyond that, uh, truths for all eternity. And in Revelation 2 and verse 17, and in fact at the end of each of the messages to each church, there are words like these, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will. So seven messages that say essentially that. Now, to him who overcomes is just true believers. In other words, believers that cling to Christ to the end. Believers that hold on to him. But listen to chapter 2, verse 17. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. You know what that's saying? That there's going to be a time... In eternity, when the Lord Jesus is going to draw you aside and show you your white stone, and only you and Jesus will know that, let's just say, pet name for you. It's just between you two. You see, that's personal love. That's personal faithfulness. I think, again, the best thing to prove the love of the Lord is to look at the cross. And at that cross, to say it should have been me, but it wasn't. It was him with all his heart. Let me dare to believe that he loves me infinitely, eternally, unchangeably, unconditionally. Well, let's turn finally then to God's love for you enjoyed. <clears throat> I, I don't think we realize how transforming it will be if we really believe in our hearts, not just our heads, that he loves us personally to an infinite degree. If you really believe that the creator and sustainer of the universe loves you so much that as Zephaniah showed us, he sings over you, he rejoices over you. Now if you really lay hold of that and are believing that in your heart, why would you ever be insecure? You're loved by the greatest being there is and loved infinitely. Why would you be secure, insecure? Why would you care what anyone else thinks? And oh, how often we bow at the altar of what people think. But why? Because we're not believing how much he loves us. Why would you care if you do believe that? Why would you be afraid of your boss? or anyone for that matter, 
if the creator and sustainer of the universe loves you enough to send his son to take your hell in your place? Why would you worry what, say, the next recession will bring, or the next pandemic, or the next election? Why would you worry? It would have no power. Why would you wonder if he hears your prayers and will answer them? His eyes are looking for every opportunity. He's, he's, he's gloriously blessed, if you'll allow me to say it that way, when you give him the opportunity to pour out his goodness on you. You see, if you really lay hold of that, if you believe that with all your heart, if you are basking, and, and this takes some time, <laughs> You've got to stop and remember that he's there. You've got to stop and preach the gospel to your own heart every day to say he loves me. He lived for me, a righteousness that I couldn't live, and he died for me, that a, a death that I dared not die. And he did it with all his heart. That's me today. You take that opportunity to be there. And folks, when you do you have the opportunity to stop viewing God's love through the lens of your life and view his, your life in the lens of God's love, of seeing everything in that light. And folks, then when the devil attacks, whether it's what you see inside or what you see outside, it loses its power when you believe that love. It loses its power. If it's inside, you can go right here to Romans chapter 5 and say, Devil, he loved me at my worst. He loved me at my worst. Um, some of you may be familiar with Pilgrim's Progress, uh, written by John Bunyan years ago. And I think, um, I think it's still true that it's been translated in more languages than anything else but the Bible. Um, and has sold more copies over history than anything but the Bible. But there's a place in there where he has a battle with Apollyon. Apollyon is the devil. And so the devil is hurling accusations at him left and right. You know, and, and then he, he starts listing off these things that he had done. You fell asleep in the arbor. You lost your precious scroll. You did this. You did that. And you know how Christian answers him? He says, you're right, and you left out a lot. You know? <laughs> I don't have to hide from that. I don't have to hide. I don't have to pretend that it's not so. He said, you left out a lot, but my master is gracious and loving and merciful. And he's wiped all that out. He's wiped it out. He's cast it behind his back. He's separated it from me as far as the east is from the west. He has sent it to the bottom of the ocean where everything is crushed into oblivion by the sheer weight that's what he's done for me. He's gone. I don't have to think about it anymore. You can bring it up, but it only makes me praise my Lord more and more. That's truth. That, you see, is the reality. But if the devil comes and attacks you with what you see outside, what's going on in your life, well, Romans 5 addresses that too. The first five verses, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have, oops, sorry, I keep hitting that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll be more careful. Um, we have peace with God. You hear that? It, it, it's, 
It's a matter of just entering into it because you already have it. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, peace with God is your birthright. It's your title because it's been given to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. You stand in grace. What is grace? It's that empowering, it's that gift of God that he pours out upon you, but it is a grace which empowers you for everything he calls you to do in life, everything he calls you to go through. You have access by faith, just by trusting Jesus into this grace in which you stand and you rejoice in hope. And hope in the New Testament is a, a word that means expectation. It's not just this vain kind of thing where you say, well, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow because I want to go. You know, it's not that. No, it's an expectation. We rejoice in the expectation of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. <clears throat> I think the version that was read earlier says, hope does not make a shame. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, God is just in the midst of proving his love day by day by day. And he uses everything in our lives to do that. So dear brothers and sisters, God wants us to enjoy his love. And even more, he wants us to enjoy him him. So let me ask you, are you believing his love for you? Are you living your life with him because you believe his love for you? You can do that. You have the opportunity every day to meet with him, to walk with him, to share everything with him, even the bad, even the things that you're struggling. Do you know what, you know what confession means? It's not just saying, I was wrong, I sinned. It's saying what you're thinking. It's saying what you're believing right now. And if you're frustrated, confess that. If you're angry, confess that. If you're fearful, confess that. Just say, Lord, here's where I am, but here's what you have said. I'm going to take my stand on what you have said. Lord, deliver me with peace. Deliver me with love. Deliver me with your joy poured out upon me. Bring me back to reality. Bring me back to perspective. Folks, invite him into everything. God is never asking you to go clean yourself up and then come back and meet with him. That's self-salvation and it never works. He's asking you to come as you are and meet with him and let him fix you. Because, folks, when we invite him into everything, we see everything transformed. We see everything fulfilled and lived out. Let me close with the words of a, a song that I, I love. I think many of you will know it. These particular words. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are 
and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. That's absolutely right. And may God enable us to dare to believe it and to live it day by day. Let's bow in prayer. Oh, blessed Father, we just thank you. We can't begin to fathom how much you love us, but Lord, we want to. And I ask you that by your grace that every day in these coming days and weeks and months, we will take in and believe and grasp more of how much you love us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that we see that love proved in in technicolor, as they say. We see it demonstrated for our hearts. And so, oh God, we bless you for your love. We ask you that you will enable each of us not to look at your love through the lens of our circumstances, our lives, but to look at our lives and our circumstances through the lens of your love. Give us that grace, we pray. Father, you have spoken in your word. We have read it today. You are a God who cannot lie. And we ask you to give us grace to believe it day by day at the very bottom of our hearts. We ask that it will form, Lord, such a tone and tenor and mindset for everything we face that, Father, we will always be confident that this too shall demonstrate your love. So, Father, pour out your goodness upon us. Thank you for every mercy. Thank you for every heart here, Father, and we pray that your Holy Spirit will seal to us the truth of your word today. In Jesus' name.